But, but, but they told us, uh, you know, at Dreamforce that, you know, the power of transformation and digital, your customers, the internet of customers, right? I mean... So what's new, man? We're back. It's been two weeks. Uh, no, right. it's, we recorded the week before. It's been two weeks since we... Uh, we do this every time. You don't understand time. It's been two weeks since we recorded. I'm on the business week clock. And so, it's, it's been only two been, weeks. It's only been one business week. What do you mean? <laughs> it's been 14 days. I don't know what the hell kind of weeks, clocks, or months you're on. Business days. There's only five business days. This is, this, again, this is John time. <laughs> You're on John. I feel time. like you're looking for your eyes are like scanning. I feel like you're looking for a jingle or something on the board that you can use for John. No, time. I, was, I was actually looking in the Slack channel because I mentioned that earlier how you were on John time. <laughs> oh, you trademarked it. I saw that. Yeah. No, it's your trademark. Oh, it's I my just trademark. didn't want to get sued, so I put the TM on there. <laughs> <clears throat> you're just jealous. I was working. I just was working from home and then I came in here. Just because I'm not here doesn't mean I'm not working. I didn't say you weren't working. I don't know what the hell you're doing. You act like well, you have just... a workout this morning. Today was a workout day for you. Oh yeah, and then it, I, I was sick all last week, so this is my first week getting back into it. it. Sucks. It does suck. And it's hot. I went for a bike ride last last not last night, but yesterday afternoon. It was ninety one degrees. Texas weather, man. Yeah, and it's only May. Yeah, you are gonna have to get acclimated. And, and new outfit because my, my normal new bike outfit. outfit, my normal bike. Did you get a new blouse and a skirt? Yeah, my, my, no, my normal outfit. skirt that I wear while biking. It's very cute. Did you, <laughs> do you have some cloud walkers? It's all black. Wear? And so I'm just absorbing the heat. So I need something bright that I can reflect the heat with. Yeah. No, you got to have the right attire for the right activity. I totally agree. So and you can't go to the gym uh, with your jeans, although people do, and it, you just stand out. You look. Well, people go to the store and the mall and everything else in yoga pants. Oh, I know. Well, like that face, like you're complaining. Because the people, not everyone should be wearing yoga pants. Oh, that's, that's the face I'm making. <laughs> <laughs> the people that shouldn't be wearing it, for some reason, yeah. are the ones that stand out of my mind. You like, and I shouldn't be wearing yoga pants, for yeah, example. No, exactly. <laughs> and, and we don't wear yoga pants. So, <laughs> Thank, You're welcome. Right. <laughs> uh, do it so... So I know we have something to cover because it's what everyone's been talking about. But Jeremy, I don't think I want to do it sober. Uh, yeah. The do we have to get into that already? I wanted to talk about you. Uh, you discovered that you're going to Dreamforce. I thought we weren't talking about that yet. Huh? We weren't going to talk about that. Why yet. is that? I don't know. Does, does my mic sound weird? Test. Hello. Do I sound okay? Anyway. Why? Okay, I didn't realize we weren't talking about that. That will be beeped. I don't know why we're not talking about that, but okay. Why will it be beeped? Because you don't want to talk about it. It's not that I don't want to talk about it. It's no. just, I, I thought things were in motion and we're still trying to figure things out. I, I don't know. I, I didn't realize it was Are you going to Dreamforce? I don't know. I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I might be going. Yeah, you, well. I might definitely be going. Yeah, exactly. You're going. <laughs> You always do this. You pull, always pull these little bait and switch things. You always pretend like you're not doing something, not going somewhere, and the last minute you're going. <laughs> it does seem that way, like, doesn't it? It's, no, that's the way it always is. I don't, I don't know what the word is for that. You, you're like, you sandbag. 
sandbag. Yeah, you just pretend like you're not doing something. Then no, my my intent I mean, then is. I'm like, oh, you know what? I won't do it either. Then and then last minute, you're like, oh, by the way, I'm going Dreamforce. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you got someone to step up and uh, pay for your, pay your way. No, not you. You, not wind, my, you wind about it on the podcast. Not my entire way, but I, I do have <laughs> have a bit of a sponsorship going. So well, so first of all, you, you'll get your ticket comp because you're an MVP, right? Yes. That's automatic. Yeah. As long as you use the super secret MVP discount code. Oh, you, you want the code? <laughs> no. <laughs> <clears throat> no, I need to contribute to. Uh, I'm I'm going to contribute to Salesforce's reaching uh, profit levels, and you're going to just continue to. Be a, a leech. What are you talking suck about? As an MVP, we're out, we're out contributing to the community, oh, and we're yeah, that's and right. that means we're computing the ecosystem, and, and it's getting bigger, and yeah. therefore there's more money being spent yeah. on Salesforce. Well, I, I registered just in in case I decide to go, and I did apply for the uh, the freebie, the the lowly the, the lowest you can get podcaster status. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, you you are. Yeah, we are. So we'll see. I'm, I'm, if I, if, if things work out timing and if I can get the free pass and all that, and then I might go, but who knows, but you're going, I mean, it's, I'm, it's, I'm, fi- it's I, five months away from now, so we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. If we have to, we'll set up a cot and hang out with the bums. Is that PC? Can I say bums? Can I call them bums? Or I don't in think San Francisco, so. do they have like no, a nice PC word for them? Or? Um, they're, they're um, naturalist they i don't know yeah they're habitat challenged oh there you go yeah yeah <laughs> Resi- they're residentially challenged not bums yeah get out of here so- sorry for my insensitivity <laughs> um i saw that electron hit 1.0 1.0 yeah did you are you did you upgrade no i haven't yeah i actually remember when last week i was talking about how my build process kind of sucks so what i did to fix it is i kind of did what i said i was going to do i decoupled from electron okay oh that's so now now i'm building the app as if it was just a standard web application and what i'll do is once that's ready to go then i'll incorporate it into there and the other added benefit is any kind of dependencies i would normally create on electron rather than creating them directly which is what i was doing i'll now have an abstraction layer towards that yeah um so now it's going to be not that my intent is to be modular and move it away from Electron, but at least as a the thing that's going to host my application, um, it'll just kind of be a plug-in for me at that point. Yeah. So I feel a little bit better about the architecture, and it means I can just use the standard Node Watch and all that kind of stuff on, on my application, and I, I can have everything set up correctly the way I wanted to. So my challenge was, you know, with the dependency of Electron, it had its own way of running and and all that kind of stuff, and I just didn't like it, so I simplified. Yeah, you were, you were overly coupled exactly. to your framework, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. So you, have you made any progress? I did. I spent some time with it. Um, I started focusing more on some of the um, UI stuff, so I've been busy creating Angular component templates and things like that. What is a component template? It's just your component that, that, holds your, that gets injected into the page. Is it a template or a component? It's a component. Okay. I just call them templates. I don't know oh, okay. why. You're making stuff up? I'm now. making stuff up. <laughs> They're components. I don't know why. I, I just. I guess because I'm creating. Are these web components? Like official, like up, uppercase web components. It's Angular too, right? Yeah, it's Angular too. Isn't it? Don't they use web components? Uh, 
See, so I'm still kind of going through the motions with Angular, so I may not be up to speed on all the terminology, but basically what I'm talking about is I have a component that provides a certain set of functionality. Within that, I'll have all my bindings and everything to my data model or, you know, to the, um, to the, that layer. And for some reason, because that's predefined, I'm calling it a template because yeah. that just seems natural to me. I thought that Angular 2 used web components, but they may have their own um, similar, let's see. Angular 2 leverages the power of web components. So, but they're not, they're, yeah, I, I guess so. That's interesting. I haven't really, um, I need, I've got an app, actually, I, I need to go ahead and upgrade to Angular 2. Mm -hmm. It's, um, is Angular 2 still in beta or is it released? Uh, I think it's still in beta, but I, their kind of documentation is kind of shifting. Like I don't, I'm starting to see less of the beta mark on things and yeah. now it's just Angular 2. Okay. So I'm not sure if it's officially out of beta, but it seems like the marketing is, is trending towards removing the beta status. So you're about what, about a, a month away from being done with your app? No, you got about six weeks, right? Uh, not done. I, I mean, or, I guess that's your reveal, right? You're going to show us. Yeah, my reveal. End of yeah. June. So uh, so related to that is um, <laughs> this kind of made the news. Did you see this article about um, a guy wrote, it's called, a, After a Year of Using Node.js in Production. I didn't. No. How, well, how did that turn out? Um, not good. So a year ago, he wrote a, a blog post. It was like, why I'm switching from Python to Node.js. And so it's been a year. And he wrote an update and but basically you know the short version of the story is he uh node and npm and the whole ecosystem kind of sucks and he's going back to python really yeah um we, we'll link it up it's an interesting read but he says you know he's talking about how when you start on a project and you know you'll realize you need to settle on a database um so no problem let's search npm oh there's a handful of decent sql packages and then later you realize that all the orm tools in node suck and you should just stick to a basic driver and then he talks about, you know, naturally, you know, you'll learn about callback, callback hell, and you'll chop down your Christmas tree, which is the, you know, the <laughs> shape it makes, and start using one of the many promise libraries. Now you just promiseify all the things and grab a beer. Um, all this to say is to say that it feels like the Node ecosystem is constantly moving, not in a good way. Uh, new tools tr always trump old tools that seem to come out daily, one shiny new thing to replace another thing. Um what's what's the thing people are talking about now javascript fatigue that's that's mm -hmm. the thing now right and that's basically what he's talking about um except i think this is kind of more node specific he's talking about how just you know the amount the number of packages you know there's packages that consist of trivial code with no more than 10 lines of code are downloaded in the thousands every day from npm he says you know seriously you need a dependency for an array type checking and he's like these packages are used by huge tools like react and babel mm-hmm he says, you'll never master something that moves at breakneck speed, not to mention the potential of dependency instability. Um, you know, he goes into more detail, but I, I kind of sympathize. I mean, there's, there's things about just Node and NPM that I think are super useful. Um, I use it for a lot of command line stuff, um, more kind of utility things. Mm -hmm. I'm still scared to build a big app on Node. I still go back to the, I would say the, the more the powerful platform I'm most familiar with, which is Java. That's what I would, if I, you know, I'm building a big back, you know, like something with the back end or whatever. Right. Um, but I would use Node for, like, if I wanted to stand up like a simple API um, or whatever. But yeah, I, I, the JavaScript fatigue thing is real. It's, 
it's moving too fast. I still don't think we figured out. We we took this super simple language JavaScript, which in some ways is not simple. I understand yeah. that. Don't email me. Um, and we were using it for to build all kinds of things down, big systems, and and I just don't think we figured it out yet. Um, it, the, it the is churn, really, the churn is unbelievable in yeah, the npm world. It is. I mean, and JavaScript in general is just moving really fast, and it's tough to really. Even even in my pers- from my perspective, when I was trying to decide on you know how I was going to architect this and build this, because I decided I would kind of try to use these tools, it was tough. Yeah, I mean, you have you know the the React crowd screaming loudly, we're the best. You have the Ember crowd. You have the you know Angular crowd. You have and all you know these what? frameworks. That doesn't bother me because every platform always has framework wars. Yeah, right. Which is fine. It's it's when the way to do something, like the way to build things, is grunt. Oh wait, you still use grunt? The way to build things is gulp. That's regardless of your framework. Like these are <laughs> this is cross-cutting like core things. Yeah, just the, but but within the, each one of those frameworks, I mean, there's a preferred that community has a preferred tool set. That's true. And and it's, you know if you go and look at the starter packs or whatever that they that you know a lot of people put out there, you know it's very opinionated on on how you do it and what you build it with. And even even those that are building like unit test frameworks or something for Angular, you know they have a very specific opinion on on how that works and how well it works with Angular and all those kind of things. So. It bleeds into it. it yeah. You know, it, you know, the community kind of starts defining itself just through almost, I don't know, it starts out popularity and then it turns into bullying. Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> I also think that in the node world, it's not real clear to me. Like when you they say you're going <clears> to, <throat> you're going to build a project and let's say you're not super experienced with, with node apps. What do you do? Go to NPM and start searching for packages. I mean, it's, no. it's, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> no, don't do that. And that's kind of a, that may be a little bit of a straw man because you could say the same thing about um, Maven repository or um, oh, the app exchange. You just, you kind of, yeah, you kind of have to know, have some very specifics on what you need and what you need something to do. And then you have to, you know, whittle down your list based on those requirements. Yeah. It's not, and it's not just that I'm trying to really pinpoint what it is that gives me the, a weird feeling about node. It's not just, there's, there's so many ways to do things. It's, a, it's that there's, the canonical way to do things changes so often. It's like this this community hasn't found a good footing yet. And that that might be to its advantage. I mean, I don't know. It, it's not to my advantage though. That's maybe maybe to the ecosystem overall's advantage or, or the life of Node yeah. as as a thing. But for me, it's just like ah, you know, that's too much churn. So um, you're saying you're a fan of the Java's and the Microsofts um, of the world that kind of established a very well defined. I mean, none of it's black and white. It, to, to me, it's, it depends on what I'm trying to build. I mean, if, again, there's certain types of things that if they're big enough, what or I, I'm, I'm going to open our beverage here in a minute. But oh. if there's, you know, if it's essentially an enterprise application with a big backend and everything, I'm not going to build on a node. Sure. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, but there's some very adventurous, very young people who have pool tables in their offices who'd like to stay up all night and tinker with that stuff. Yep. But that doesn't mean it's good for business. And I don't. But it, but I don't, the thing I don't, is, those tools are really business. fast to work with. They're really fast to get something up and running. It's cheap to get something up and running. It's it's just that mm. cycle. And and, and, and I mean, for the most part, I mean, I I don't know for sure, but I'm going to say I bet you a hundred bucks that if you go to any kind of CS class right now, they're they're all doing JavaScript. Um, no, that's not true. You um, don't think they're coming go, out? If you go to a a code boot camp, maybe, but not computer science program, no. They're still doing Java, Python. It depends on where you go. I mean, MIT is famous for um, um, 
oh gosh, uh, closure or not closure. Um, what what was the uh, oh gosh, what is it based? What's closure based on? Hang on. Oh, see, this is why I shouldn't. Uh... <laughs> Where's our Google Music? Google Music. Oh, I don't, I don't have any. Um, Lisp. Sorry. Gosh. Yeah, that's wow. what I was thinking. Brain. Yeah, but Lisp. <clears throat> For some reason, I was thinking something with an E, but as soon as you said Lisp, I was like, yep, that's the one I was thinking. What am I thinking starts with an E? Anyways, done with that. Yeah, move on. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where the, you know, how Node continues to evolve, but I'd, I'd I mean, I'm sure there's good rebuttals to that guy's post, you know? There's always, you can always argue both sides of a topic, and a lot of times I'm like, yeah, I agree with both sides. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a lot of this, when Node was first gaining popularity, a lot of these things were, were said at that time, but it still, it still overcame all that. It still, you know, gained a foothold. Oh, it did, absolutely. Um, and I don't think it's going anywhere, but... I think JavaScript fatigue is real. I think this NPM problem is real. I think I still think versioning um, and the like the module system on JavaScript has issues. Um, you know, a lot of people have done what this guy did. They switched to it, it looks good, and then you start hitting these really practical problems when you're building sizable systems that are hard to see. I mean, it's one of those things, you can be theoretical, you can read the book on how to do something, but until you build real stuff with a certain technology, mm -hmm. you really don't, you don't get a feel for, and, and how that's kind of where I'm do. at with what I'm doing, is I, I really wanted to get a feel for these technologies and really get to know them better, beyond just the cursory, you know, reading of blogs, reading, you know, watching webinar, or not, not even webinars, talks and sessions about them, or, or even just playing around with them at home. It's, di it's different when you're building something from just tinkering and saying, oh, I want to get this field to display this yeah. on screen. It's, it's a very different process. Yeah. Oh, what else is going on? I, I saw the other day that it was last week, I think. Um, and I guess it was what I think Amazon released or hinted that they were going to be um, having good earnings expectations or whatever. But he, uh, what's his, what's the guy's name? Um, Amazon CEO. Oh crap, Smith? No, no, no. no. Um, Bezos. Bezos. There you go. His his personal value jumped six billion dollars in a day. <laughs> that's that's Salesforce's revenue. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah I guess he has he has like 83 million shares but 6 billion in a day is that is that a record do you think has anyone gained 6 billion dollars in, uh, in wealth in a day it's a record I'll never have <laughs> hey you never know it's not too late John I don't know I think it takes a certain type of you person to make a billion get, dollars you can still get ridiculously wealthy I just don't know if I'm that kind of person yeah it's, I'm one of those people that, you know, I, I you, my you, family's you, comfortable, I'm comfortable, life is good. I don't need to go out and hustle for another million or billion, you know, I just, I'd rather spend yeah. time with my family and I, I don't, I'm not saying that that's what it takes to be a billion is to focus on only work, but I, I have a feeling that's what it is. Yeah. And if, and if Amazon's culture is what it takes to achieve that, I, I also wouldn't be willing to do that. What's their culture? Oh, you don't remember that? It's just, it's. It's just brutal. Oh. Yeah, I, th I think we talked about that before. Um, I think there, I just saw an article the other day, it was 
talking about the average, I guess, lifespan of a job at Amazon. It's like a year and a half or something. Mm. They they hire a lot of smart people. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of them stick around. But remember people, you know, crying at their desks and uh, oh. New York Times did a big expose on that. That's what it was. All right. Well, let's let's jump to our uh, beverage of the week segment. Since so, I'm, Jeremy, what'd you bring to drink? <laughs> I'm actually thirsty. <laughs> so this is another homebrew. Um, it is a, ended up being a, more of a session IPA, and mainly because I screwed a couple things up. But, you know, what do they say? Uh, most, most good things are invented based on accidents, right? Screw-ups. That's true. Oh my gosh, this even. Is this the accidental session? This already smells amazing. So this is a, ended up being a session IPA. And it's, okay, there is a style of IPA right now that has gotten real, almost fatty, I guess. Fatty as in like a fad? Yeah. I don't know if that's a word or not. I just couldn't tell what you're saying. I thought you were trying to insult me. But they call them, it's like a, it's it's a Northeast IPA. I I think, I'm not trying, I'm not sure who would have created it. Maybe Hetty Topper by The Alchemist would have been maybe one of the first ones. But now there's um, other breweries, Treehouse, um, Trillium. Um, Hillstead Farm, I think is what they're called. Um, who else? And and, and so the, it started on you know Boston, Vermont, kind of those areas are where these breweries are. Now it's kind of spreading. I've, I'm seeing breweries in the Midwest that have picked up on the style, but it's a, it's really juicy. So it's a light colored. In fact, this is almost almost just like murky orange juice. They're always um, murky like this. Mm. Uh, hey, in fact, one of like one beer that Treehouse makes is called Haze. But they're all they're all hazy. I'm not exactly sure what call, uh, causes that, but the um, the beer is made from mainly um, just pale two row malt, but it's got it's got um, some oats, and it actually flaked oats. And let's see what else. Um, a, a lot of hops. I mean, the the hop bill on this recipe is massive. Here, let me. successful handoff so just i mean first of all the smell I, yeah i know last time <laughs> last time have you had this before no the last time you handed me a beer i smelled it but you had turned your back when i was smelling it well, so when you turned around and i was about to take a sip you're like you didn't smell it but as soon as i opened these bottles i mean the aroma just started like filling the air <clears throat> yeah this is um 100 citra hop well, unfortunately the it's too wide for me to get a good <laughs> Well, I wanted the clear cup so you could be see it, so you could see it. But but the oats give it a that pillowy soft feel. But that citra hop gives a lot of like, I guess it's named for citrus. I'm not sure it has fruit characteristics. It's almost like yeah. it's almost like a juice. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like I said, some people describe these as ju- like a juicy style of IPA. It's daddy's orange juice. Exactly. No, it's good. I like it. I think it's my favorite beer so far. Definitely get the the fruity, and then and then there's that that citrus on it. It's not. I mean, it, it's hoppy, but it's not, it's not like it's a... It's not bitter. It's not bitter hoppy, yeah. So the, it's, 
I think the IB it's about 50 IBUs, which is for an IPA is not very high. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so bittering hops I kept to a minimum, but the flame out and whirlpool and dry hopping was all it's all just massive. I mm. think this this recipe has about um almost two ounces of hops per gallon, which is pretty massive. Do you have a name for this? I nope. think you have a winner here, though. No. It's pretty good. You like it? Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of my beer buddies sampled it, and they were <coughs> pretty impressed. This is the first beer I've made that I I drink, and I think, okay, there's really no flaws that jump out at me. Anyway. It's perfection in your eyes. It's your, your baby. Cheers. You're precious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was a small batch. I, did, I think it ended up with three, two and a half gallons, like a case, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm doing these small batches so I can iterate fast. Um, it's agile brewing. Agile brewing. All right, John. <clears throat> you need to get some of your topics in. You keep complaining. So let's go. Well, we have to talk about the outage. Okay. So let's go there. All right. Any 14 was out. NA14 was out, yes, for a long time. <laughs> Still out, isn't it? No, it's back in some kind of degraded capacity. Have you looked at trust? It, it's yellow. Yeah, so it's, I wonder if they're, I wonder, I wonder to what degree it's even usable right now. They Ooh. restored, uh, so they ended up with five hours of data loss. Wow. Was, was what I heard last, um, let's see. Well, here's what was interesting. So as of last night at around 8 p.m., I looked. This is 12 hours into a complete outage for one, one of their pods. There was not a sing, still not a single news report on this. <laughs> nope. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I'd, but even, even oh. today, you know, I checked the news feeds. There's like maybe one or two that are talking about the outage, and it's, it's minimal. Well, there's minimal information at best. And because there's minimal information and people kind of do want to cover it, the only thing they can do is, is talk about the memes or, you know, the explosion on social media of all the, you know, people who are, you know, either A, pissed off and, and, te- and tweeting Benny off, or B, just, I've got nothing else to do but post a bunch of memes on the internet about, yeah, I can't do my job. There were some pretty enjoyable tweets. I went to Twitter and just searched for the NA14 hashtag. It was quite entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, so Salesforce, um, let's see, their support team said the problem occurred after it performed a, quote, successful site switch. <laughs> and I'm like, um, I don't think that means what you think it yeah. means. <laughs> it's inconceivable. But as all successful business people know, the difference between success and failure is how you word it, how you, dis- how you use words to describe what happened. That's Salesforce philosophy on trust. I also discovered what, it, what in, like, in A14, I discovered what NA stands for. North America. Not available. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, let's see. <laughs> Some of the comments were fun. Oh, what was that the, on, oh, on uh, Hacker News? And one of the comments was just, ha, 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 ha. I don't know. <laughs> They said they had a power supply problem. I, and I don't get that either because I think it was their, it was their DC. It was some data center in DC. And I looked and there were, there was some rain, but no bad storms or anything. And I'm thinking, I, th- I thought these data centers, 
or no, was it, was it East Coast? I can't remember where it was. But anyway, I thought these data centers had, I mean, they should have redundant power sources for one, but they also have um, full backup generators, right? Yeah, they should. And then for a while, they were blaming it on Oracle. Maybe they still are the, uh, this is from Trust. It said, the Oracle data guard restore failed. <laughs> Salesforce is now looking at, oh, uh, this must have been someone else because they're saying fairly severe options. I don't think Salesforce would say that, but they were, they were basically trying to figure out, okay, do we accept data loss? Or do we stick, do we just keep the system down, suffer more downtime while we work on trying to repair whatever database got screwed up? But then I, I, was, I was looking at the tweets and people were complaining because they weren't getting any communication. Mm-hmm. No emails. Um, Salesforce was, if you look at Salesforce's Twitter account, they were pretending like nothing was happening, which is what, you know, of course, you'd expect Salesforce to do. That was the big issue out like, of everything, Nothing I think. to see here. <laughs> Everything's good. They're like tweeting about, you know, marketing cloud stuff or just, you know. And I saw, I saw some articles of people of jur- journalists. Well, we'll use air quotes for journalists. They were trying to reach out to Salesforce to get some, you know, information on the outage, you know, things that they could report on. And according to them, everyone was being turned to the trust. They weren't commenting on it. They were just saying, go to the trust. And the trust had very little to no information. We have a little bit more now, but it, it's definitely not a, a good source of communication for what, what's really going on. There was no ETAs. There was none of that. Well, and that, I don't blame them for that. They're, they're, how could they have an ETA? I don't think they had any idea. But still, it's a matter of, it, okay, we're talking about servicing your customers. We're talking about being transparent. We're talking about, you know, having good service and, and saying, hey, this is an issue. We're working on it. Here's an ETA or here's what we're going to do about it. You know, there's none of that. I don't think you can say it. I don't think you can give an ETA unless you really know. Like we are doing a, a known backup process and we have a good idea. It's going to be like 45 more minutes or whatever. Unless you know. I don't think they knew what they were going to do. So, so, so those customers that have a bunch of people sitting in the office doing nothing no what i'm saying do you lie do you just make something up because now you're on the hook for some eta i'm not, what i'm saying is if you don't have a, a really good tight range of how long it's going to take you just shouldn't make an eta you should just do what they did which is obviously they're working they're doing everything they can i'm sure everyone was there who you know everyone was there working on it yeah well, what are you going to do when you don't know how long it's going to take i mean they were they were re- trying to repair data and, and, and this is, again, this is the cloud, John, right? This is the multi-tenant cloud. You're, you've taken thousands of companies, putting them into one database, a crap ton of data. So if your database fails or gets corrupted, you're not repairing the data for one company. You're repairing an amount of data that represents, you know, thousands of companies' data. It's going to take that much longer. But that's what, this is what they signed on to do. I don't think people realize what they're signing on to when they sign on with Salesforce. I'm not talking about the customers. I'm talking about Salesforce. Sales, this is what Salesforce no, signed on I to agree. do. Yeah. And because they signed on to do this, they need to pioneer the, the service on this. They need to pioneer the innovate with their service and support uh, and not just be this, this black hole of, we don't know how long it's going to take. Do you think Salesforce has magic technology? I'm just saying. Well, they, they run Oracle <laughs> and Java. It's one thing to, to have an internal database failure within a single company and have to deal with that outage and communicate with, with certain high-level executives on what's really going on, what, what different ETAs at different phases of the process are going to be, you can get that. Yeah. But because Salesforce <clears throat> controls it and because it's a PR nightmare for them and they don't want to release that, you can't get that. 
So you're you're running a business and and here's the other thing. Salesforce sold you a CRM and a new hub for all your data systems, your service, your support, right. your marketing. Now everyone is done. Everyone is, is stopped working. Right. Yeah, because you built you you put all your eggs in that basket. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, what if this keeps happening? What if this keeps happening? Right? Um, you're gonna where are you gonna go? Well, you you built you built out everything in a proprietary platform with a proprietary language and everything about it proprietary. Where are you gonna go with that? Nowhere. True. That Although up, I, so I, that that point, I'm always gonna bring up that point. And the second point I'll bring up is that there are no Salesforce has no unless you have some custom contract, and maybe some companies do, but in general, there are no SLAs. There's no guaranteed amount of uptime, and you have no recourse if you have a lot of downtime. They don't, they're not guaranteed to give any remunerations or anything else. Free trip to Dreamforce. Not even that. They don't, they're not on the hook to give you, they didn't, you, you have no agreement with them for them to <laughs> compensate you for that. So, but Benioff came out on, finally on Twitter, and he said, I'm, you know, he, I saw some article where people were like, oh, this is how you, this is how you do PR when something like this goes wrong. I'm like, whatever. He says, I'm sorry for our service. I mean, he, nothing he did was wrong. But, you know, um, he said, I'm sorry for the disruption on NA14. Please email me at CEO at Salesforce.com. By the way, that is not his email address. Of course. So that we, so that we can call you. Okay. If you have a $8 billion company like Salesforce and you have tens of thousands of customers and your main channel for getting information is emailing the CEO, then we have a big problem here. Yep. We have a communication problem. We do. But that being said, I was looking at trust. Um, now, one of the complaints I usually have about trust is a, a lot of things that I think are either outages or um, major degradations, they don't, and they won't put on there. Of course, something like when it escalates to this bad, like a whole pod goes down, they've got to put it on there. But I was they were updating... I mean, I think by policy, like every, I don't know, I didn't, at some frequent, um, you know, period of time, at a certain frequency, they were updating, even if they didn't have anything new to say. They just said, we're still, we're still working on it. We're still alive. We don't have any answers yet, but we are still working on it and we will keep updating you every 30 minutes or whatever the period of time was. I think that's good. And then some, sometimes that's all you have. That's all you can do. That's all you can communicate. The worst thing you could do is say, hey, you know, we think we're going to be back in two hours. And two hours gets there and you're not even close. Because you didn't know what you were dealing with. I mean, you're dealing with this, you know, terabytes and terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data. Probably spanning, you know, all kinds of clustered database servers and all kinds. Who knows what all. Messaging systems that have to be synced back up. I mean, it's massive, right? You, you don't know how long it's going to take. You just don't. And it's better to not say, to not make an estimate if you don't really, if you're not pretty confident in it. I agree. I mean, I I just don't know what else I don't, I don't know what else they would have done. I mean, I do think because I did see people complaining saying, you know, hey, I, I I haven't even gotten any emails. I've been contacting support and there's you know I can't get a response. And now that's got to be fixed. But the reality is, is there's nothing they could have told you. I mean, I, I get it. You're sympathetic to the guys in the data center who are trying to get this back up. And I'm not I'm not faulting the guys in the data center. What I'm talking about, I'm, what I'm faulting is Salesforce as a service company, a customer company that I think really failed on communication of this. They failed on communication? Yes. In what way? Did like trust was not sufficient? Trust or? is not sufficient. And, and an email on, on, on Twitter is not sufficient. Social media is not sufficient to communicate with your clients so on would, service outages. what would be sufficient for you? That, that's the thing. I mean, I'm not sure that I have a solution. And it, it kind of 
deadens my complaint a bit. Um, <laughs> it's just like, I'm just complaining, but I don't have the right yeah. to answer. But at the same time, I mean, I'm not the one that went out and pioneered and said, hey, we're going to build this and trust us to build your stuff in the cloud because it's always going to be up. And then all of a sudden it's down and, and I have no, no way of communicating to you that something's going on. Well, I mean, how, why do you say they have no way of communicating? I mean, they, they could, right? I mean, they could email out to administrators or something. Did, did, I mean, you, get, of, did you get an email? That's kind of what trust is for. Trust is the, um, you know, it's, it's the weather radio of Salesforce, right? When all your power's out and there's, there's tornadoes flying by, we're in Texas, so this happens. You turn your weather radio on. That, that's, at some point, that's going to be your only way to eat, that you have a connection to what the heck is happening. That's what trust is. Except they give you information. They tell you what, what, what they know at that point in time, what's going on at that point in time. They're very transparent about what's going on with the weather in your weather app. Right. Salesforce didn't say anything other than it's an outage. We're working on it. It's out. We're working on it. It's out. We're working on they it. They did start to update. They said at one point we've been, you know, because I, I, I copied some of this, we've been working around the clock with our vendors to pursue multiple paths to repair the file integrity issue, which we believe to be the fastest and most reliable path to recovery. However, at this point, we do not believe we, be, we will be able to repair the integrity. So to bring NA14 back to health, we have shifted our focus to recovering from a prior backup. I mean, that's, that's a lot of detail. I'm actually surprised they shared that much. When was that posted? I, don't, I didn't write the time down, but it's all, I think it's all logged. Mm -hmm. They're all historically there. Um, I don't know. I mean, that... At some point, I stopped trusting listen, this. It, it happens, and, and one thing that I'm always very careful about, whether it's, you know, AWS has an outage, which has happened. Um, Azure's had some spectacular outages. Salesforce has got a pretty damn good record. Um, yeah. Uh, and, I, and this type, this kind of stuff is going to happen occasionally. And my question to you is, really? Your, your IT department was going to do better? So, okay, so you were out <laughs> in one for a, let's take for a year of time. How many hours is Salesforce down? If it's only 12, that's actually not bad. That's still like, it's what more is that, than like 12. I mean, it's well, easy to forget the, the few 30 minutes or the few hours that you get an outage in between releases. That's true. But even if you add all those up, I mean, how many nines is that? Three or four, five nines? Well, let's talk about that because, well, first of all, before I talk about the numbers, um, I did want to bring it back, back around in saying that, yeah, I mean, it went down and everything, but it has, does have a pretty good track record in terms of outages and things like that. It's, it's not, this is not the norm for Salesforce and data loss. I don't think has ever happened. I think this is my, might be the first time that there's actual data loss. That's that is what's notable about this, right? So I give Salesforce a lot of credit in in the fact that this has never happened before, and I'd like to think that this either exposed some some gaps in their either infrastructure and architecture, but also in their communication that they'll be able to address. Um, and that that leads me to some of my complaints about the communication. It's never really happened before, so they never really had to deal with it. Trust was enough to communicate an hour outage, an outage here or there, a degradation of functionality. Yeah. For a major system outage, I don't think trust is, is good enough, to be honest. I mean, so would be, what would you suggest? And maybe this was happening because I... Like conference I, calls or something? Um, like a line you can call into and just jump on and they're just... You're listening in to the operations center or something? or. <laughs> No, a ham radio broadcast. A live web feed cam of the data center. It's like make sure everyone's working. Raise up your ham radio antenna in your backyard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I really don't know what the answer is. And, and 
I, I, that's fine that you're going to crap all over me on it. But I'm not. I'm, I'm not I, crapping. I, I just, on it. I'm I just, just like, wondering what you have in mind. I just feel like a web. It's just not. It's not personal enough. It's it's this digital thing. You have to go check this digital thing that you know. You, you brought up the the weather app, and yeah, you can get information on it, but can all you can also you can also tune into the to the actual broadcast of it, and you have a real person communicating, and you can hear the the their voice you can hear you know whether or not they're excited about what's coming up or if they're like you know it's not that bad it's coming it's missing if you're in this area don't worry about it it's missing you you know that, that's community it's human communication there people are stressing they can't do their jobs the companies cannot make money and we'll, we'll talk about some of those numbers here in a bit but you know to me it needs to be a more personal communication and maybe it was happening for those larger customers who have those dedicated account executives right. or dedicated support reps maybe they they did have those calls. I think of all everything. the poor schmucks working for, you know, 15 person companies that yeah. can't do their job. Now the rest of us, we're just down and maybe we all went out and grabbed a beer and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately oh. for me, all my environments were up. So I, I was know, working. Me too. I was like, damn it, I have to work today. <laughs> I was hoping to get a, a, a sick day, a snow day. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a snow day. Yeah. So, but at the same time, we, we do have to kind of call it out and, and talk about the, the areas where there's, there's room for improvement. And I think communication, there's room for improvement. I think, I think across the board, um, there needs to be more of a personal communication beyond just digital social media trust websites. So how do you communicate to, let's call it, and I have no idea how many companies are on a pod, but let's call it 5,000 companies. Is that, is that reasonable? Maybe not have 5,000 companies on a pod. <laughs> That's true. I mean, what I mean, if all pods go down? I mean, how do you communicate in, that, in those kind of numbers in a personal way? True. I mean, because the last thing you want to do is distract Salesforce from actually fixing the problem, right? It's, That's the number one thing. Is like they but should... Salesforce is big. The Salesforce yeah. is not made up of a bunch of engineers in a room. They have tons of people who focused on servicing and supporting. Well, okay, <laughs> a lot of salespeople, John. All right. Well, well, <laughs> next year we're not going to be profitable next year because now we got to add a bunch of service people now because we need to fix this communication issue. I don't know. I don't have the right answer. It's it's a good opportunity to figure out how do you communicate something like this again. We're talking Salesforce. We're talking about cloud technology. We're talking about software as a service. We're talking about a new business model. A lot of the things we've done traditionally do not apply. And so we're having to figure these things out. And I think this is another opportunity where we need to figure out how do we communicate? Because now we do have 5,000 customers on a pod. And if it goes down, how do we effectively communicate to 5,000 people? I think, again, I think that's why trust was invented. But that's digital. It's not personal. It's just this feed of information. Would you want someone to come personally, pat you on the back and say, by the way, and they just read trust out to you? I mean, by the way, we don't know when it's going to be back. We're working on it. They don't, they don't have anything else for you. I mean, that's the, that's the cold, hard facts of the matter here. They just don't have any more information. And that's fine. I think people want to know that someone, that they're communicating with someone who's at least talking to them, who's at least says, hey, you know, I don't have any information. I called All and right. checked. We had this call internally. You know, I, think, I, I, I think we both made our points on this. I mean, fine. I think it needs to be more personal. You're fine with with digital BS not, on a website. Well, I think we're both fully think, fully PR'd, edited. We mentioned it, but I think we, we're bearing the lead here, which is losing losing data. Now that's you know I I can conceive of Salesforce going down. They go down every once in a while. Usually it's not for very long, and they yeah, usually communicate pretty well and everything else. But I don't normally consider the option that Salesforce could lose my data in a completely non-recoverable way. Yeah. I mean, they had to go to back to whenever their most recent backup. And I don't even know how they, they must have on, it must, these must be online disk systems of some sort to be able to back up that frequently, that much data, but they had to go back to a backup and just everything. And that was five hours. And for some companies that 
doesn't matter at all because they were sleeping or whatever. It was overnight. Um, and for some companies, that's going to be a huge deal because they process payments or they have thousands of community members that lost all their things. You know, it's going to vary. But yeah. it's still, anytime you lose any data is a huge deal, but five hours times a lot of companies is, that's a lot of, I mean, there's a huge financial number to that. That's a financial loss. It is. It's just unrecoverable. And that, you know, that's going to create litigation issues, all kinds of things. It's, it's, it will likely be a distraction for a while for Salesforce. And, and for the companies that were affected. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that's just, like, is that, what, what do we, how are we to rationalize this? Is that just the reality of uh, cloud computing? It absolutely is. I mean, it's the reality of any kind of computing, I guess. I mean, even if you, let's say you back up, I mean, I back up my computer every day and I've got this thing that will check every 15 minutes and if I've got new versions of a file, it'll send them out. But I mean, within those, with, between those backups, anything that might have changed, I, I could lose. Oh, it's happened to me all the time. I will be coding something and I'll be in a, I'll be in this, this mode. Coding. This coding. <laughs> Did I use that improperly? No, I'm just. No. I will be programming. I will be developing. I will be hacking. Coding is fine. Hacking sounds You're a coder. Cooler. Coder. I'm a coder. So anyways, th there'll be times where I'm, I'm, I'm on the roll. I'm on a roll. I'm on fire. Yeah. I'm coding. I'm typing. I'm mad dashing. You'd and think you think I was you on. You forget to hit save. <laughs> and I, no, I've hit save. I just, I just didn't push to my git. Oh, and push to your get. somehow I lose that or something, <laughs> or maybe I don't save and my computer craps out on me and I'm like, oh crap. That's, that's, uh, you know, and it's funny. I mean, sometimes some people think, oh, you should get, you should get just, you know, cause it's, you're backing things up and you push. I mean, that's not why you do version control, but that is, that is one benefit. And a lot of times, even when I'm working on a project by myself completely and I'm, there's no in the cloud continuous build or anything, I'll still set up a repository in my GitHub, which we need to talk about GitHub actually. Um, just so I can push, just so it's in a, another, <laughs> it's, it's on another machine somewhere. In but case. in between pushes, you're kind of. Your host. Your yeah, host. Yeah. yeah. Which is again, you know, I guess the modern day version of save early and often is push early and often. Right. Well, crap. I don't want to push every time I save. Um, every, well, every time you commit, you could push, right? Yeah. A save is a commit because I have to compile. It's, it's a new world. Yeah, it is. I mean, you get fat. It becomes muscle memory though. No, I uh, compiling on Salesforce is fast. No, no, it's not. I didn't mean to say that. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> you're just like ah, no, it's just saving compile. No, I'm committing, like, no, committing and pushing is fast. Yeah, but compiling, no, saving and compiling yeah. go hand in hand. But because that's so slow, but the I, upside is, is you get all throughout the day, you get plenty of Twitter time and Slack time. Mm. You're waiting for compiles. You're waiting for tests to run. Yeah, sure. And I'm still up at night working. <laughs> yeah. So, well, why do you think you're up at night working? Because because everything's slow. <laughs> exactly. Um, I guess so. The latest. Okay, here we go. Um, they say that, okay, we it, in a fourteen they brought brought it back up and then said it continues to operate in a degraded state. You can access the service, but they've suspended some fun functionality. Yeah, just the the data loss. Yeah. Yeah. No word. I haven't seen any word yet from Salesforce about uh, financial impact to customers or of downtime of data loss or anything like that. Um, there were, uh, gosh, where, I'm trying to think where I read these. Maybe this is the register or different or hacker news. I can't remember, but that just the comments were hilarious. Well, and also the Twitter stream was just great. Um, and one thing I said, I, you know, I use the, I use commodity cloud hosting and I don't have to deal with problems like this because they never happen. And I thought that was interesting. Like, like cloud services don't ever go down. Yeah. 
Although I can't say, I mean, obviously, you know, AWS has been down, but I don't... I well, don't, up, and, I, up until yesterday, a lot of people could have said that about Salesforce. They don't go down? Oh, no, we just talked about how Salesforce has... It, it's not like downtime never happens. Un, unplanned downtime never well, happens. That's what I'm it saying. Does. I mean... It's usually minimal, though. But I don't... Most users don't notice it, though. A lot of the downtime that we see is the API tools. Like, they'll, they're quick to, you know, chop, right. chop that arm oh, off. Oh, yeah, exactly. But as long as the web users are fine... <laughs> You know, but they don't care about us. Chop that arm off. Yeah. You, don't, you didn't need that arm. <laughs> um, this is funny. This is from Twitter. Somebody tweeted that. They said, uh, hashtag NA14. But, hey, don't worry, everyone. My rep emailed me that, quote, the issue was not the result of Salesforce technology failure, unquote. It's, it's okay. <laughs> it, it wasn't our fault. It was so that data you lost is no big deal. Yeah, they did blame it on Oracle for a while, but that disappeared. <laughs> I don't know if they pulled that back or just decided it probably wasn't smart to blame their vendors. Because, you know, what? I'm not contracting with Oracle. That's not... Yeah. <laughs> it's not my responsibility. It's not my... Yeah, I'm not worrying about that. That's yours. Yeah. Anyway. It was the Docker lightweight container. I just had to work that <laughs> it in It was, somewhere. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I, I tried <clears throat> to see what impact this might have. I tried to do some research on numbers and things. There's a few articles out there that are all old, but one of them, um, there's a few Gartners and Avaya articles. I'll put them in the show notes in case you're interested. But one of them took a line in the stand and said that for every article, every hour, a network is down. Which one a network goes down, systems are down. So I, I equated it to this. And it was mm -hmm. about $42,000 an hour. It's going to vary depending on how important that system is to your operations. but. I don't know. How, how, how long was Salesforce down? 12? 18? 20? Something like 18? So we'll say... Eight. It's still not back to full capacity yet. So if we say 18, then that's $756,000 per company that they're losing. Per company? If we're potentially, say, if, right. If we're saying, you know, potentially that, that for every hour down, it's $42,000 yeah. they're losing. Yeah, and you know, you know, Salesforce. I mean, Benioff always talks about how the most important thing, and this is this is one of the things that he's. There's not a lot that he says that I'm like, oh, I agree with that. But that's one of the things that I do. You know, it's 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 all about trust. Mm -hmm. Um, and we we, even when we've talked about things like privacy, and different things like with NSA or whatever, um, I always, I I tend to give them. I don't know. I just just I kind of assume, I guess, that they're probably going to make the right decisions on these things because. If they did something to violate their customers' trust, I mean that that just creates a huge problem to on getting new clients and and, and retain and retaining customers. Right? If they don't trust you, then they're not gonna they're not gonna stay. I agree. I don't know where I was going with that or where that came from. You just wanted to say something nice. <clears throat> I guess so. No, I mean, no, I I see where you're going with that. I mean. It, Unfortunately, trust it's it's overwhelming because we the trust side is called trust, <laughs> so it feels like like you're you're it feels like you're combating words. It feels like you're saying the trust site, which you don't trust, but you want to trust Salesforce because you know they're trying to do the right thing because this is what their business model is based on. Yeah, and I always like you say I don't trust trust because it's an ironically named site. <clears throat> I think I just have different opinions on what should rise to a level of actually indicating that something's wrong. I think it's sad. If, that, I think if, I feel like if they can sweep something on the rug, it, did, it didn't get big enough or was only affecting, you know, developer APIs or things, they'll just like, oh, let's not say anything. I feel like that happens a lot. It could be, you know, is that something we really need to 
Minch, I don't know. I mean, I'm sitting here trying to do my job. I, and when I can't do it, I'm going to go to trust and look. And I, I want to see if something, I want to know it's not something I'm doing wrong or maybe something on my network or something. I don't want to have to you know, do trace routes for two hours to try to figure out what's wrong here. Like if there's something wrong with Salesforce, even if it's just affecting, you know, a metadata API or something, let me know. So I don't have to worry about, I don't have to sit here and spend my wheels for two hours thinking I might be doing something wrong. Yeah. That's why it's important. But I mean, the trust isn't there for us. I don't think, I feel like it's more there for the the CEOs, the CEOs and CFOs and CIOs of the world, you know, the, those guys, you know, they, I hope you're wrong about that. Cause I feel like it is, should be for all kinds of people, anyone using well, the fact that they're selective about what goes on there makes me feel like it, it's, it's the, the legal arm, the, the PR arm of Salesforce has some oversight into what goes into trust. And, and so to me, that makes it less of a trustworthy tool because there's image involved. There's image control involved. Well, because we, we obviously know that Salesforce is a very PR and marketing and perception-driven company. Right. And so you already know that everything they do, they're second-guessing everything they say from a perception standpoint. Right. So, you know, from, from that perspective, that's why I feel it's hard to trust the trust. And plus, for the instances that we know that it is down, it has been down for, for an hour or two, but it only affected the API. And, and you know, they're just not mentioning it. Yeah. Yeah. And thus, we don't have the information we need. All right. Well, have we uh, killed that one? Uh, almost. Okay. So I had two questions I wanted to ask about this situation. First one, does this situation cause us to architect our solutions differently? If, if, you, have, if, if you have systems that are running outside of Salesforce, I think you might want to second guess, if you didn't already, um, what happens when, if, you know, if you have a dependency on Salesforce's services, APIs, whatever being available or in storing your data, you, you might, you might want to rethink that. Or I'm, I don't want to say rethink, cause maybe you already thought about that. You should, I mean, you should never trust any system. That's, that's the reality. Don't trust anything. Because if you trust something, then <laughs> it's going to let you down. <laughs> it's going to disappoint you. Yeah. Trust nothing, have duplicates and redundancies of everything if they're important. Now, if they, if you don't care if they go away or the data dies or if it's down for four hours, it's no big deal, then okay, fine. Do whatever's cheap, right? Don't waste your money, mm -hmm. your time. But if it's important and you, you know, if your website, for example, for your company, um, that, you know, let's say you transact important business on your website. And if you, if it was dependent on getting, um, like push topics or whatever those are called from Salesforce, or if it was dependent on, you know, using Salesforce as an authentication, authenticating to community members or some kind of OAuth or whatever. Um, you know, again, is there a system out there that's more reliable than Salesforce for that? I don't know. Probably not. You going to build something more reliable than Salesforce? Probably not. But should you think about failovers? Should you think about your backups, your backup strategy? Or, or what? Or or even just um. When, it, when your system does go down, can it fail over to something else? Some alternative way of storing data or authenticating users or just dealing with that? That is something to think about, yeah. So my next question is, and it, it kind of leads into some of what you're saying is, should we really be making SaaS applications, I kind of generalize this a bit more, the hub for our entire businesses? In the case of Salesforce, you know, we, we talked about this earlier where, you know, they come in the door as a, as a CRM or as a service product or as a marketing product. And then it gets expanded to all these other areas where we typically use spreadsheets or access databases. And we bring those into Salesforce. And now all these other departments are very dependent and interconnected. And, and 
you know, it, it's not like sales was down. It's not like only sales was down because only their CRM system was down. It was pretty much everyone who does all their work. Right. Could have been your service. It could have been your commerce. It could have been right. a lot of things. I mean, I mean, it could have been, I mean, I've built systems that companies that on Salesforce, that companies use to manage their operations, their warehouse, their mm -hmm. manufacturing or whatever. I mean, that all just completely grinds to a halt if, if your system is unavailable. And we've, we've kind of done well at kind of making Salesforce this kind of Swiss army knife, you know, of solutions for, for these companies. And maybe is that, that maybe a bad that's, maybe, strategy? Yeah, I was going to say, is that, is that bad on us for doing that? Yeah. Of course, I don't know. I feel like for you and I, I mean, in a lot of cases, the, the client had already decided, you know, it's not like you and I are going out and selling. Pitching, yeah. yeah. We're not selling people on Salesforce. I mean, I'm, I'm just not opting in that situation. Usually someone comes to, I'm, I'm speaking for you too. Let me know if you think I'm wrong. <clears throat> But when they come to us, they've already decided that they want to use Salesforce for this, thing, for this thing. And they're coming to us because they heard that we're good at Salesforce and, you know, building systems. True. But, I mean, they're coming to us as the experts, the, the, the for our kind of experience. I mean, just to, I guess this is a, a feather in the cap of Dreamforce. I can't tell you how many times people have come back from Dreamforce. And I, get, I start getting calls after Dreamforce. And it's um, people that... You know, they didn't know much about Salesforce, but they sent their couple of executives to Dreamforce and, you know, they, <laughs> they drank the Kool-Aid. It's good Kool-Aid, by know? the way. They listened to Huey Lewis in the news and Stevie Wonder and Foo Fighters and... MC Hammer. Yeah. You know, and they had hookers sent up to their room. <laughs> <laughs> when do we get y Yoshiki to headline? I don't know. <laughs> And they come back and they're like, hey, we want to build our, we want to build our shop floor control system on Salesforce. I'm like, ah, really? <laughs> we don't run our, our company website off of Salesforce. Didn't make real-time API calls to Salesforce to run our website. I'm like, yeah, let's yeah. say API calls over the internet, man. But, but, but they told us, uh, you know, at Dreamforce that, you know, the power of transformation and digital, <laughs> your customers, the internet of customers, right? I mean, there was a dude on the yeah. park dreaming and he had clouds in his head and then he started flying. I want to so, fly. Yeah, I mean, back to, should we build these things on Salesforce? I mean, I don't know. Um, it's not so much a, should we build on Salesforce? It's just that the strategy of, of you know, where Salesforce is headed and wanting to be the central hub for for everything. And, and they're including your marketing, your service, your CRM, your analytics. And, and because of that kind of accessibility and everything, more and more companies are transitioning their departments to Salesforce and then in the back end integrating these other systems. Yeah. So that Salesforce is that central place where they go for everything. I mean, hell, I mean, mo a lot of users are, aren't even going into the back office system anymore. There's some kind of API integration in Salesforce where they get to that information. Again, I think, you know, who, who are you going to get to run systems more reliably than Salesforce? True. Show me someone that's got a better track record. But, show, me mean, your, show me your internal IT department's track record. No, I agree. I just, I just think, you know, as a mental exercise, you know, the, the architecture of creating so much dependency on a single system. And, and the impact that has when that system goes down. Here's a much bigger question. And this is, again, nothing, nothing new coming from me. Salesforce is not available for you to purchase and install on your local, um, on your own servers or your own cloud, you know, public cloud that you've bought. Um, it's not an open platform. It's not standards-based. What happens when Salesforce goes away? I mean, people act like that's not a possibility. What happens when they decide to change their model? I mean, 
you know, nothing stays the same. Everything's always changing. You know, Salesforce, I mean, they're not, I mean, again, I know I harp on this, but they're not, a, they haven't even proven that their business model works yet. You know, I know Dreamforce is amazing. Amazing, 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 amazing. You find I know, know the band, I know that's awesome that they can afford to, well, they can't afford to build the tallest tower west of the Rockies and, you know, have Metallica and Foo Fighters and, and Stevie Wonder come play at Mark's private home, one of his many private homes. I, I know that's, that's pretty cool, right? Dreamforce is huge. Um, but that doesn't mean that they've proven their business model because they haven't. We don't know what's going to happen. What if they get bought? Now they're in control by, of someone. Well, that's by, what now, they're, now they're controlled by someone else. I mean, there's just so many reasons why it might not make sense for you to continue to use Salesforce, or you may not be able to continue to use Salesforce. And if but you, that's what if anything, invested, I mean, that's what any, you, any piece of software. Well, I guess, I guess to your point, if it's an, an on-premise software, you could, you could use it, that till right? it dies. I mean, right. there's companies out there still using old freaking mainframe terminal systems. Right. Or if you've, you know, if you built, if you, again, if you built something, if you're on homegrown systems, or if you're, if you've built it on open source components, right? I mean, you at least have options at that point. They may not be great options, but you've got some options. You know, you, you're not, your system isn't going to go away overnight. And I don't ever think Salesforce will go away overnight. I just, but I see your point. Probably not it, overnight, it, but we'll, you know, again, that, that's an extreme scenario. Um, true. They, they wouldn't, they, if Salesforce, you know, financially just wasn't making it, they would, get, they would be bought, right? And the service would continue in some form or fashion. The question is, you know, what does it look like then? How much sense does it make then? What are the, what's the cost going to be then? What do they have to do to make this a profitable? Because it will, at some point, have to, be, have to be a profitable business, whether it's Salesforce that does that or someone that buys in. Does that mean they have to raise prices? Does that mean they have to, they have to change how the system works? Yeah. Or, do they, you know, who knows? But, you know, you have put all your eggs in this one basket for sure. You may think that basket is great and it's ironclad. Okay, that's fine. But they are in one basket. That's true. And you don't control that basket. And those, once those eggs go in that basket, you can't get them out of that basket. Not very easily. I mean, you can get your data. I'm not talking about data, right? I'm telling right. you, you can get your data out. But, you know, all the I mean, massive investment into configuring, extending, customizing that system, it's not going anywhere. So that's something to think about more than, to me, just an outage, which is also, you should always, you know, you should have contingencies for all these things, but. Yeah. All right. So I think we've beat that one. I want to get to some of my other topics. All right. Um, one of my minor topics that I want to just quickly cover is uh, notes and attachments. So we, we saw a preview of this new notes and enhanced notes and everything and new file system. New file system. Yeah, we have files now. Okay. Which is just content. It's chatter content. But it's wrapped as files. Now, Salesforce has something called content. Are you talking about that or is this is it something? Is this, <laughs> it guess, does get oh confusing, gosh, doesn't it? I, and I'm, I'm, you know, there was fi content files and then be something became chatter, or was it Salesforce files? What were they called? And then it became chatter files and then there's... Now it's just files. There's content, which it is... Used, it's I what used to be chatter thing. files is now just files. Okay. But the, the backend infrastructure is, is, the, is the data structure's content document, content version, content document link, and then there's some other objects to support, like liking and commenting, I think. So there's the data model for files just like exploded. Just 
block. So that does sound like content. If it uses those objects. Yeah. But that's different from files, right? No. No. It's all using the same data structure. It's really weird and confusing. Because files is not the same thing as content in Salesforce. Those are separate systems. I think separate acquisitions. Libraries are different. And that used to be content, and now it's libraries. And so you have workspaces and libraries, and that is an overlay on top of content. So that still uses the content document versioning and all that kind of stuff. But that's, an, that's another higher level of grouping, yeah. organizing. Yeah. Um, so, so just as a kind of more of an FYI, because I've been working with it, and I have some clients that want to turn on um, enhanced notes, and they want to start moving things into files. Um, I haven't done the file migration yet because I'm still trying to understand how to get what used to be attachments into content. Because what you have to do is you have to create the content record, the document, then you have to create the link to it. Yeah. But when you create the link, apparently you have to create a a link to yourself as the owner of the record with a certain permission, and then a link to the record with a certain permission. Because the way files works is it's not a public repository. It's um, it's all private by default. Yeah. So in order to link it to other records, you have to link it, and then you have to expose, you know, what your permission level is for that. So whether it's everyone who sees this account can see that file, or if you know, you actually get more functionality from the front end. And from the front end, it's really simple. You just go in and click and add a file. Mm-hmm. But on the back end, we have to do a lot more things to get that to work. I had to do some of this recently, creating. I think it was PDFs as content because they had to be accessible to DocuSign, which has a really poor integration with Salesforce, by the way. They couldn't, I can't remember the details. They couldn't use attachments. It, uh, it was very well. It could do certain things, but it, um, I think it was chatter files, or I think that's what DocuSign called it. It could, it could read. So I think, I think I ended up having to create, I guess, content entries or chatter files. I can't remember. Yeah. So the rub on that, though, is if you want to start using a t- if you want to move your chat- attachments to Chatter and have everyone start using Chatter files, mm-hmm. you have to have Chatter. Yeah. It's one of those weird things they coupled that are yeah, these. Yeah. yeah. So if you're one of those orgs that decided you didn't want Chatter and you wanted to turn it off, which is rare because that turns off a lot of other things. Like, I think it turns global off like search. global search. I know, which is, again, the coupling with Chatter. Yeah. I don't understand it. So it's one of those weird things. Anyways, migrating notes, it's, it's not too bad. It's the same almost structure as documents. So you take your note and you move it into the content document and you have to move it to, and then you have to create an, an entry in the content document link. Yeah. To create that association. The other thing you have to do is you have to escape all uh, HTML-like characters. You have to escape the quote. You have to escape the single quote. You have to escape the uh, less than, greater than symbols. And then, you know, Replace it with the HTML markup. What is it? Code for that? Yeah. So like amp ampersands right. would be and amp colon. Mm. I'm sure I'm crazy about that. So if anyone needs advice on that, just hit me up. I'll I'll tell you <laughs> tell you what I did. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a challenge. So it's just something to think about whenever a client says, "Hey, we want to start using this, but we have the, all these other legacy notes." It is something you're gonna have to migrate. It is a process. Um. So. Uh, I saw there's new, there's some new certifications. <laughs> so, so all, oh, you people, new all you people who are like 10X or whatever, you can go get some of these. They're, yeah, the new architect. Yeah, I saw um, those. Actually, I've seen them for a while because they've, they've been on the site for a while, but they've, I think they've only started recently advertising them. So here, here they are. They, are all, they all start with the word Salesforce certified, but it's integration architecture designer. Mm-hmm. 
development lifecycle and deployment designer. Oh, that, that one's for you. And data architecture and management designer. You're a management designer. You manage the data architecture, right? And and there's there's still the high the top level um, technical architect as well. But those are the new ones. Are these like is the are these sub like parts of that or what? Are they separate? They're separate. So if you want to specialize, you can specialize in one of those. But if you just want to be a general all-purpose god of architecture for Salesforce, there's still that technical architect <laughs> certification. Oh my gosh. You know, if I... <laughs> it's just like, really, I'm going to let Salesforce decide whether I know something about deployment. I'm like, these are the people that created force.com, John, and the metadata API. <laughs> It, it, it's not whether you know something about deployment, it's whether or not you know something about how Salesforce has, has decided deployment should yeah. be done. Well, and again, this is mainly for partners. It's not like customers are. Yeah. Cause it's clamoring yeah. for you to be well, an architect. Yeah. And, I mean, they might, they, I mean, their exec might sell them on it and like, Oh, if you, you want to get your guy up and running just send him to this class and get him certified. Yeah. But for the most part, it's, it's mainly a partner thing. You know, if those of us that are out, consulting or freelancers that are doing things and that credential might help us establish that we know what we're talking about. Yeah. It's, gosh, it's such, it's such a fallback to brain dead hiring and decision making. I know. I know it bugs you. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, I guess it bugs me. It's just, it's a, it's not a way, it's not how you should be hiring. So what if you knew for sure that if, if you got that certification, you could ask for an extra $50 an hour, would you I'm do not, it? Well, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it from a, pragmatic no, perspective. I'm, I'm asking as a personal question. I'm, I'm if, talking about people, I'm talking about high, people who are hiring. Yeah, hiring is one thing, but I, I see it as more valuable in the partner community, you know, for those that, you know, want to know and understand that those people kind of fit their roles. Right. But, and I know you're kind of not really into the certifications, but if you had a client say, hey, you know what, if you had that certification, I could get you $50 more an hour. Would you be like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna start studying tonight? Maybe I would. I would really question that. Whoever that is at that point, yeah, it's bureaucracy. It's big but enterprise. Possibly, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying. I mean, if listen, if it helps your career and you're making more money, you know, go, go get them. I mean, 10x. You know, load your email signature and your chat in your Twitter profile <laughs> up with all your certifications. If that, you know, that's good for you. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I mean, they're just. Listen, it's the employers and Salesforce who is creating demand for these stupid certifications. We're just filling that demand. We're like, okay, well, if you're going to pay me to get these certifications, I'll go get them. You know, if I'm going to make that much more money, sure. Yeah. It just that creates this whole ecosystem of brain-dead hiring and checkbox mentality hiring. Well, it's, I think for that of really, certain, Instead of really understanding what people's actual skills and capabilities are. Yeah, I think that just depends on the person who's doing the hiring, the, the management for that team or the director for that team who either got there through... I can tell you it's dominant. It's yeah, dominant. Yeah, no, I mean, there's plenty who got and, there. Well, and look at how many people who have a lot of cert certifications that are absolute morons that wouldn't know how to build a system to save their lives. Same could be said about people with degrees. I, that's, <laughs> I totally agree. Just saying, it's yeah. just... It, it just, I'm not saying it does. It, there's book the smarts and there's street the smarts. I'm a street smarty. The certifications don't solve the problem that they're purported to solve. They just create a, an ecosystem. Again, what's actually more lock-in. You get these people locked into this ecosystem 
Um, and it also, you know, getting certifications isn't actually cheap. There's a lot of people, John, getting a lot of expensive certifications now and paying for training, which costs thousands of dollars. And some of these certifications are thousands of dollars. And, you know, how many Salesforce developers are there now? It's what is it up to? Billions. Adam Seligman, who's the new, the new guy over AppCloud. Uh, I, I think I had this, wrote this down for um, our, our previous episode. I don't think we ever got to it. But he wants to, he said he wants to have something like uh, 10, 10 or 20 million Salesforce developers. Hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> I think Forrester said, thinks that there's approximately 20 million developers in the world, period. And again, I, when they say that word developer, I don't think it means what they think it means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's just a new world, Jeremy. It's just the reality distortion field of... The Salesforce world. It's a new kind of development. I guess so. New kind and of I'm developer. Just, and you're my, the old guy trying to keep people off your lawn. I'm just, I'm doing my thing, man. Which, by the way, Jeremy's going to be a year older this week. I am tomorrow, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you old man. All right, let's get on to my major topic. And uh, that is... We haven't got, wait a minute. What? We're an hour and 15 minutes in and we're not to a major topic yet? Uh, you'll probably crap all over it like usual, so... Oh, yeah. Like usual. <laughs> I found someone who made IoT make sense to me. Oh, good. Because I've been wondering. Yeah, I've, I've been waiting for this. Been waiting? Yes, for you you've to been understand waiting IoT. For like, you've been waiting for two, for three <laughs> weeks now because you haven't let me get to this topic. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and in finding this out, I found out something interesting. Okay. And that is, yes, Salesforce has not figured out IoT, and neither has Microsoft. No, and I've, I, so I've got some things on this as well, so we can make this a combo topic, John. Oh, not a combo. A joint, mic- it's not a combo topic. It's a joint topic between it's you a joint and I. Topic. Yeah. All right. We're gonna smoke this joint. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. I'll let you start. Are you gonna let me start? I mean, I don't, I don't know the way you got the same aspect That's, of it. I'm but really I can, curious. Okay. So this goes back to Dreamforce last year. Okay. All right. Uh, let's make sure this plays. So, Mark, we're delivering the technology to connect the Internet of Things to the Internet of Customers. And it's called the IoT Cloud, or the Internet of Things Cloud, powered by the Thunder platform. Wow. Okay, let me explain what it is. First of all, everything. There's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of things. So first of all, we connect with everything. 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 That's massive scale, right? So first of all, they're talking about this. Again, this was last year, right? Mm -hmm. As if this is something that existed. It did. Just keep that in mind. Okay, okay. Technology, a lot of of innovation just to deal with that scale, okay? And it's real time. It's not slow. It is right at the moment. It's Again, boy, it sure sounds like he's talking about something that exists. And you're saying it does? You're saying it did? Well, that one statement is actually quasi-factual. And I'll tell you why. Go ahead. Telling things in real time. In the moment. Yeah. So let me explain exactly how it works. Okay, step by step. Exactly how it works. Number one, you have to capture those events. You have to have something that's capturing those billions of events that are happening all the time. And it keeps increasing. And then you have to take those events and you're going to understand your customers better because behind those events are customers. So you're updating these profiles to understand those customers. Makes total sense. You got to connect. You got to connect. Then you have to act. And you have to act. And how are you going to act? Every company is different. So this is also a platform. And so it has an intelligent rules engine to take those events and understand what to do with them and then connect them back to Correct. all kinds of things. So and especially these, our... One, you can take these real-time rules yes. and then you apply them to the yes. events as they're happening? Exactly. Oh, man. That's exactly. Cool. And take a look at this. Our launch partner, 
for this technology is none other than Microsoft Corporation. Ooh. Microsoft. 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 Pretty cool, right? They're our customer? Yeah. And Microsoft is moving people to the cloud. They're moving people to Office I 365. I love that. I use Office 365. That's it's great. Right. And all of the events, all, you know, there's billions of events happening right there. There must uh, all, be. Yeah. And they're using Microsoft Azure, the Azure Event Hub, sure. to catch all of those. Wow. And then Azure Event Hub is sending those to the Internet of Things cloud. You're sending them to us? Yes. And they're sending to, uh, them to us, <laughs> and we're to applying that intelligent rules engine to actually do some interesting things and connect it to our marketing cloud. Oh, I want to show you how really that works. That is really cool. That is really cool. Let me show you how that works. How about a demo? I would love to have a demo of <laughs> okay. this. Anyway. IoT, man. So, okay, the news was this week is that it turns out that, of course, that, I think that was complete vaporware. Nothing existed. And we found out it later, months later, at Salesforce's fiscal 17 kickoff from Adam Bosworth, the IoT cloud dude, mm -hmm. that they hadn't even built anything. I mean, they might have done some like <laughs> little pilots here and there, but they were still talking to customers to try to find out, like, what, how would even make this makes sense because you know salesforce doesn't expose like technologies they they build solutions and make they they provide easily consumable solutions to their customers right it's sure. not it's not like raw technology right right and they haven't figured out how to do that yet but anyway they've, they've announced this week they've signed up with uh, amazon aws is actually going to be running salesforce's or at least some part of salesforce's iot cloud which may or may not still be called thunder i'm not sure you don't yeah. hear thunder much anymore do you is it still Thunder? Still Thunder. Salesforce One Thunder. <laughs> I'm trying to process that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Adam, I think this is Adam Bosworth. He said, you know, we, we did it. Let me, let me actually click on that. I have an article here. Um, yeah, this is the one that, this was your pet peeve. They, they, AWS has found a big partner to expand to its customer list, the $50 billion cloud software maker. <laughs> Right? Yeah, I saw that. It makes it, uh, I was like, like, what the hell, man? What does that mean? They're, they're a freaking $8 billion or $6 billion company, <laughs> right. hopefully on track to be $8 billion this year, but yet they tout the, the estimated value. Right. Uh, what is it, capital? It's their market cap. Market I don't cap, know, whatever. Yeah. But it says Salesforce's IT, IoT cloud, which collects data from connected devices and gives recommended actions to sales and customer service reps. Again, they're talking about it as if it, as if it is running and exists. Now, Salesforce runs the majority of its service on its own data centers, but it's been running some parts of it on public cloud providers like AWS. Did you know that? Salesforce has been running. Now, are they talking about Heroku, which has always been AWS? Maybe that's what that means. Maybe. Uh, but given Salesforce's wide array of customers, including companies with strict regulatory compliance requirements, it's unlikely that Salesforce will go full force to the public cloud providers the way Netflix has. Salesforce's IoT Cloud EVP, Adam Bosworth, told the Wall Street Journal that it will be a mix of its own data centers and public cloud services. What's interesting about that is I, last time I checked, when I've had customers who are really sensitive to having all these certifications, um, uh, what, what did SaaS Type 2 become? It became something else. But anyway, there's, there's all these different, and there's you know, HIPAA and everything else. Amazon has got them. Amazon has more of those than anyone else. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand that, that people, you know, it's better in Salesforce data center versus, I mean, maybe it's just the fact that it's crossing data centers, but AWS has like all of those certifications. So maybe. So, so can I tell you my story then? Um, <laughs> well, okay. I got a couple more things before you do that. All right. And then you can do get to your part. Uh, so Adam says, we did it because we're growing very, very fast. <laughs> and these are big. 
And so you're using a lot of resources. Okay. We, we have to have the safety of a public cloud or public clouds to do what we are doing. So is, is what Salesforce does, is it not safe because it's not public cloud? They're not using public cloud? I think, think they want the safety of the scalability. I don't think their data centers can scale like it, Amazon can designed. scale. Right, and that, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because Salesforce has a predictable workload. Right. Um, I also said Salesforce has designed its IoT cloud to run on, quote, any public cloud. And my thought was, well, that, well, that must be nice to be able to shift your word, workload to, between non-proprietary clouds. That is nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe I mean, if they had that, they got to switch any 14 to AWS. And then um, some Gartner guy said Salesforce would be wise to avoid being locked into AWS. Like, and they're not going to be locked in because they're building it on o basically open source technology and standards compliant technology. So they're not going to be locked in. Yeah. Again, must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> they get to use all the cool toys. Yeah. Anyway, no, so I guess Microsoft is completely out of the picture now. Unless you know something different. I have an idea. Okay. Of what happened that's, that threw a monkey wrench in all this crap. And that is, there is a company who, who knew what IoT is about, and it made perfect sense to me once I read it and saw it and understood it. So this made, this made IoT crystallize in your mind. It did. Okay. Because I could not understand the value of IoT of having some device connected and I can control it with my phone. I'm like, that's for lazy people who just don't want to walk to the middle of the hallway and fix their thermostat or turn their lights off or cook their food. What a bunch of lazy butts. Okay. But you kept trying to pull me towards the other end, the commercial, not the, the not the industry, non-commercial, non-consumer. Non yeah. Non you know, the, the shipping containers and all those kind of things. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine for them. That's not IoT. They have networks and things that do that already. But so, so how is this new? How is this IoT? And so there's a company who specialized in this and built out an entire network to service this. And what it is, is I, they see IoT as a service, not hardware, not devices, not applications, but services. And it made perfect sense to me. Say you hire a company to service your lawn or do something for you. Mm -hmm. They help manage that by giving you a device that they can monitor from their networks. You don't do anything, but they monitor that. Now this company made its, made its, its business model was making money, you know, like servicing vending machines or things like that, where it can monitor, you know, if something's full, does something need to be refilled? The system would communicate back to the company and it would, th there was algorithms that would auto fill. Yep. It would do all this automatically. Now imagine bringing that to the consumer market in your home where, you, where companies are providing more services than they are than, than it is an, uh, just a general app that you install. Maybe it's your electric company helping you manage your power. Maybe yep. it's your, you know, like I said, your lawn service trying to see what the pH balance of your lawn is. Your, and, you know, whether or not they need to come out and fertilize. You know, it's services. So this company is called Jasper. And so I... I as I dug into Jasper more, I found something interesting. Both Microsoft and Salesforce started a partnership with them mid last year. Jasper, huh? Jasper. And Jasper is the company that allowed them to say... Jasper Soft, like the report people? Jasper Wireless. It is okay. a network company. Okay. And oh, okay. they specialized in servicing the, and creating this network where these devices could communicate back to a central system that could then act on that information. So they were really pioneering, pioneering a aspect of IoT that I believe in. 
And so here's the interesting part. Both of them contracted with this to supplement their networks. Azure and Microsoft both have analytics and ways to consume information, but they don't have the infrastructure to do this. Right. So they contract with Jasper. And here's the monkey wrench. Is this a Cisco thing? Because I can't... <laughs> here's the monkey wrench. Okay. In March, Cisco finalized a deal to acquire them okay. for $1.4 billion. And I believe that is the monkey wrench that is causing them to kind of go, uh, we need to rethink how we're doing this because Cisco bought them. And I don't know that Cisco is interested in farming this out. But I don't think Salesforce is going to be in that, um, the, like the network infrastructure and the communication infrastructure. They're going to be at the point of, what, listen, you get your data. However, whatever kind of network it's on, satellite network, or, or some kind of global wireless network or whatever, you have to get your data to Salesforce. Yeah, but I'm glad you played that because listen to what they said, that you're going to be able to get these events from, from, from this system and you're going to be able to, to act upon them from Salesforce. Because there's a customer behind every event, John. Well, that's what I'm saying. The, the partnership with Jasper was that they would take those events and pass them to Salesforce and Salesforce would then, you would then have that information on your profile. Mm -hmm. So there was this, this huge partnership, this huge backend thing that had to happen. I think that whatever relationship or whatever buyout from, from, from Cisco might change that relationship enough that maybe they didn't think they can't rely on that. Because both them, both Salesforce and Microsoft are, were relying heavily on, on Jasper's network be able to facilitate the event-driven information. Salesforce was? Yeah. I, I, and again, I don't, think, I don't think Salesforce is too, I don't think they're in that part of the business of, the, of actually running a network. No, that, but it allows them to advertise and say, hey, we have an IoT solution for you. They don't, they, they, don't have to, they don't have to own the network to say that. They don't have to own some kind of global wireless network in order to say they have an IoT solution. Unless, unless you're thinking they're talking about that a complete end to end. They are. I see. I don't think they are. That's what they were. That's what they were. If you if you if you listen to what they were saying, that's what they were saying. Can uh, you cue it up? It's, it's, it was pretty early on. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me go back. We're delivering the technology to connect the Internet of Things to the Internet of Customers, and it's called the IoT. Which means nothing. I don't even know what that means. Cloud or the Internet of Things cloud. They're connecting the Internet of Things to, to the Internet of Customers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Got that? Powered by the Thunder platform. Wow. Okay. The let, Thunder platform. Let mm -hmm. me explain what it is. First of all, everything. There's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of things. So first of all, we connect with everything. 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 They connect with everything. That's They're saying scale, they connect right? with everything. You are actually ascribing meaning to these bullshit words they're using, I am. John. At some point. That's not. This is what they're saying. This is what they're saying. They're saying it existed. They're saying that they can do this, that they can connect to it, but they didn't build out the infrastructure for it. They didn't build anything, John. They contract. They didn't even have the back end built. They had this contract to yeah. say that they that allowed them to say that they were going to be able to do this. Interesting theory. I can't say that it's wrong, but I mean, obviously, we don't know if it's true. We don't know if that's the case. We right? both know that they didn't build anything to connect to these devices. There's no protocols, there's no infrastructure, there's no wireless network, there's, no, there's nothing built by them or Microsoft that I can find other than their partnership with Jasper who built this out. Yeah. My, th my perception of this this whole time has been that you, you know, if, you're gonna, if you've got devices, it's part of your business is you have, you have stuff, whatever, maybe they're not devices, and maybe that's not even a good way of thinking about it, but you've just got stuff out in the field that's throwing off data and somehow or another you're collecting it, right? Mm -hmm. It's coming in. Feed that data into Salesforce, and we will help you hook that up to events 
it has some algorithms that surface like u- using our rules and things that you can act on that in a in a customer centric way mm-hmm. but i don't i didn't think at all they were be, they would have anything to do with like, it's your responsibility to get the data to salesforce first but maybe i mean that's just what was my, my understanding I, I couldn't oh i mean okay let's talk about the kool-aid factor then the okay. way they presented it and the way I understood it, based on those words alone, not adding in my bias, not adding in my, my, I know this is marketing fluff. What gave them the confidence to go up there and say, there's a lot of devices out there and we're gonna, we can connect to them and we can consume those events and we can, we can make them actionable in your customer profiles. It was partnerships like this that they were going to rely on. Maybe so. And Microsoft did the same thing. They said, we have IoT covered, but all they have is they have Azure. I mean, so if, which Salesforce, is not, had, if Salesforce had a contract with them, they would st- they'd still be in place. I know, and I, I think of that too, but I'm wondering if maybe the relationship or maybe the change in ownership that might, because this is also, this is also wireless networks. This is, this is a network that it's hard to expand. It's hardware. It's, it's towers. It's things that have to be built out and expanded right. on. You know, I think for Jasper to grow, they had to sell into something like Cisco to be able to expand that network even more. That's tough to do as, yeah. you know, small... Just, Capital intensive. Exactly. So, so I'm, I'm thinking that, that something changed within that relationship or something changed in Cisco's plans to either expand the network or just control what they had now to be able to say we have an IoT offering that changed everything for that. Because not too long ago when we, when we saw the, uh, what was the Q1 celebration or the oh, fiscal, 17? fiscal 17 celebration? Yeah, the when, kickoff. When he put him on the spot and said, what's going on with IoT? And he's like, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's in progress. We're still trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, I, I think they let did get, have. Let me check the Gantt chart. <laughs> I think, I think those people that they, those customers that they said that were piloting it probably were partnered with Jasper, probably did take, send their information to Jasper and probably did have some access to some early prototypal interface, uh, of the thunder. Interesting theory. I mean, I don't see any. Is there any? <laughs> I mean, is that just a theory? I mean, you didn't. I mean, these like, are all. Is there any evidence of Salesforce having that they were using that or? They, they don't share any information. I know. I mean, no, so no. All, the best I can do is I can look at, you know, some of the news reports. I can look at some of the timings of things. I can look at what that service provided. And yeah, I inferred from that all this information that I'm, that I'm saying. I think it's a valid theory. I'll let you guys decide whether it is or not. Go to the Salesforce community yeah, and debate. Yeah, I, 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 I mean still, the Salesforce. Good day, sir. Community. Yeah, you doing? I don't know. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't think Salesforce is going to get into anything past the. You, you've got to get. You've got to get your data to their system, and then they will ingest it and do stuff with it. Oh, absolutely. I think that's very true. But I. But they're not going to say that in their marketing terms and no. their selling pitches. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's listen. Li, li, listening to Salesforce's PR and their marketing pitches and just what they're calling things and renaming things. It's it's all. It's dizzying, and it's it's uh, it's impossible to wade through that and make sense of it most of the time. Yeah. Just on a related note, though, Salesforce has since since Dreamforce, Salesforce's relationship with Microsoft has really gotten cold and more competitive. Hmm. Uh, I think it looks like you know Microsoft has doubled down on head to head with Salesforce, and there seems there seems to be a renewed energy behind. Um, the d- dynamic CRM. And I, I think that's cooled off a little bit. And I don't know if that had anything to do with this or if one kind of caused the other, but. I don't know. I think, I think it's one of those relationships where they kind of need each other. 
in some way? They do. They will always have to because Salesforce needs Office 365 yep. and, and Microsoft needs to be able to say that Office 365 works with Salesforce. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I think you'll always, you know, have that. But, but at the same time, I mean, Dynamics is a major competitor for absolutely. Salesforce. And it runs so, on .NET. <laughs> so there's going to be some, some conflict there. Yeah. Some co-opetition, we'll call it. Um, so you know this guy, Dan Lyons, that we've talked about, right? He's the guy that worked forever as a journalist, and he was fake Steve Jobs. And then he worked, went to work for HubSpot for about a year, and then wrote a book about it. And his book just came out about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've kind of followed him a little bit, so I bought the book. There, And I'm not even, I don't even think I'm going to do any quotes from it. There's Are a you cha- recommending I read it? There's a chapter in this book. Uh, I don't remember which chapter it is. It's like 12 or something. Almost towards the end of the book. Called The Ron Burgundy of Tech. And this is about our, <laughs> our dear, our dear beloved CEO, Mark Benioff. Um, he, w- it's based on, you know, he went to Dreamforce in 2013. He only went once? I, I believe, I don't know if he's been back. Okay. I don't think so because, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do a couple of the, the, the really, uh, safe quotes here. Um, he says, uh, you know, talking about Dreamforce and Mark Benioff. He and this conference are the essence of everything that has gone wrong in the industry. Quote, have you transformed the way you innovate? Unquote. Was Benioff's big line at the 2012 Dreamforce show. Note that you can switch those two buzzwords in the sentence and it still sounds good and still means nothing. Meaning, meaningfulness is not a word, but it should be. There's an art to this kind of bullshit and Benioff is it's Michelangelo. So that's the, that's the tone. I've got highlighted a bunch of things here, but I don't think... I'm going to read them because it, it's really searing and I don't want to necessarily. Um, it's very opinionated, very. Yeah. And harsh. I just don't want to, you know, pile on or whatever. There was one thing that, oh, here we go. I stay in my hotel and gaze out my window at the rain blurred lights down below, marveling at all the money and evil sloshing around down there. 140,000 salespeople have hit San Francisco armed with expense accounts and determined to have the time of their lives. They will sleep with their clients. They will sleep with their colleagues. <laughs> Hookers have flown in from all over the country for this. Tinder and Grinder and the Craigslist casual encounters listings are packed with out-of-towners looking to hook up. The strip bars and S&M clubs are booming. Dreamforce turns out to be a four-day orgy worthy of Caligula, a triumph of vulgarity and wasteful spending with free booze and endless shrimp cocktail and a rate of STD transmission that probably rivals Fleet Week. <laughs> <laughs> well, until that STD part, I thought he was advertising for Salesforce. <laughs> I know, exactly. It's like, damn. You're gonna, like, I don't want to go. <laughs> need to get registered for this. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, if, if uh, for the endless shrimp alone, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I focused on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just a little, a little bit of backup on my, my hooker theory. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's entertaining, but actually the whole book, I read the book. It's, it's interesting because it's, it mainly talks about his experience at HubSpot and just really the dysfunction of some of these startup companies in that Silicon Valley culture and the VC culture in general. Mm-hmm. Um, he's talked about, um, publicly how it's, it's, you know, it's just really ageist and just the way they treat people is terrible and all this stuff. But the one chapter on Benioff and Dreamforce is it, at minimum entertaining. That, that's it, a, Dreamforce must have made a significant impact for him to dedicate a chapter in a book to, to it. I think so. Um, yeah, I would say for sure. <laughs> anyway, it's it's fun. It's a fun read. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. 
And to that I say, good day, sir. You get nothing! You lose! Good day, sir! Dun <laughs> dun